Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis 29. Genesis 29. You're finding your place there in God's Word. A few things I want to make you aware of. Um, Kansas City Christmas, tradition around here and several months ago, you know we have to make decisions on these things. They start working on Kansas City Christmas uh, back early, early summer. And so not knowing what the situation would be, we, we went ahead and made the decision to have Kansas City Christmas, but to do it online. And so beginning next Sunday night at 5 p.m., we will have Kansas City Christmas. And Pastor Bill and his team has put, to get, put together a, the best of uh, Kansas City Christmas. And I've already seen the lineup, and you will be blessed by it. You'll be encouraged by it. Um, I will be preaching as a part of that online experience and hopefully making the plain uh, gospel very clear to all those who are watching. So this is a great opportunity for you to maybe invite some people over to your house and you can have your own snacks there at your house and you can gather around and you can watch Kansas City Christmas and then hopefully maybe somebody that you know that doesn't know the Lord, you'll have an opportunity to have a conversation with them about how they can place their faith in Christ who has come to save them. So we want to encourage you to, to make use of that. It'll play every Sunday night in December beginning at 5 p.m. So a great opportunity uh, for you to be plugged in that way. I do want to welcome uh, Reach Church DeSoto. They're joining us via live stream this morning. Let's give a big welcome to Reach Church. They're doing an Great work out there, and Pastor Ryan's enjoying some time with family, and so Pastor Jim's on standby over there. See, we got backup plans. Even in the venue service this morning, they're joining us live stream too, and uh, Pastor Jeremy, he's over there. In this, in this day, we never know. You never know what's gonna, what a week's going to bring, and, uh, and so we got backup plans for our backup plans, so we're ready to go. So, so just so you know, no matter what, if all the electronics go down, there'll still be somebody preaching the Word of God right here, amen? So if you come to church, we're going to have something for you. Um, so Pastor Jim's on standby, and and so hopefully the video's working over there. Um, I'm just joking with you, Pastor Jim. We know you'd do a great job if something happened. But uh, uh, anyway, inside joke. So you guys don't have to laugh. But, uh, <laughs> and then uh, Fellowship Olathe is, uh, is joining us via live stream this morning as well. And so grateful for Pastor Travis and what he's doing out there. So Fellowship Olathe, we're grateful you're joining us today. Well, Genesis 29. Uh, when I was thinking about a title for this, because the uh, media team always wants to know what's a title. And I'm not really a creative person. I just... Well, the title is Genesis 29. You know, that's what we're in. But uh, got to come up with a title. And so uh, when I was thinking, what's the title for this, this sermon, for this message, I, I thought a good name for this would be God is in this place, part two. God is in this place, part two. Because you'll remember last week, Jacob, he's on the run. He's deceived his brother and his dad. He's ticked off his brother Esau. Esau's after him. He's on the run. He's been sent off to his mama's family up in Haran. He's on the run. He stops off at this little KOA campground known as Bethel. And there he meets up with God in a place of despair. He thinks he's at the end of his rope. And God says, you have no idea the resources that I have available to you. And God just shows him that thoroughfare of divine aid that stands ready to meet all his needs 
deeds. And then God covenants with Jacob in that moment. He makes those promises that he made to his grandpa Abraham and his daddy Isaac that, that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make into a great nation. And through your, through your seed, all the nations that you carry, the divine seed, and through you will come this person, Jesus Christ, that we celebrate at Christmas, who came, who was promised. And he says, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And, and really, that's the beginning of Jacob's spiritual journey. He says, God was in this place and I didn't know it. And he's moved to a place of, of, of beginning to take root in his faith in God. And he, he makes a commitment, although it's a bit misguided, but it's a commitment nonetheless. And he begins a spiritual journey with God. But at that moment, at that moment, Jacob is not complete, is he? Jacob, at the moment of beginning that spiritual walk and that spiritual journey with God, he's not immediately made spiritually mature, is he? No, Jacob's got some rough edges on his life that God's going to have to work off. And it's similar in our life. We come to place our faith in Jesus Christ. We come to a knowledge of our sin, a knowledge of Christ. We trust in Jesus. And in that moment, we're justified. We're made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ is imputed to our account. We're made right. But in that moment, are we immediately mature? No, we all know, don't we, that God begins to work and it's called sanctification. He rounds off the rough edges. And what God does in our life, same thing he did in Jacob's life. Now we got to start a journey. And Jacob, you got some things in your life we got to rid you of. And the process isn't going to be real fun and you're going to have to experience a little bit of my discipline. But Jacob has already learned that God is loving God is gentle. God is kind. Can anybody testify God is gentle and he's kind? Amen. But God can also bring a hand of discipline when he needs to, can he? He's a good father. And a good father doesn't just love his children. Sometimes he disciplines them. But the point of this is God's in both places. In the place of discipline... God's at work there. At Bethel, God's at work there. He's at work in both places bringing about his perfect purposes in Jacob's life. So with that in mind, let's pray together. Then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your holy word that teaches us and instructs us. And we, we truly believe that this is a divine moment. Then that as we as your people, whether we're in our homes, watching online or at in DeSoto or Olathe or in the venue or right here in this room, that you're here with us. And you speak through your word. And God, I know there's not a person in this room or watching online today that came to hear me. We need your word. We need to hear your voice. And so, God, for this moment, I don't know what else we got going on in our life, but I pray for this moment we'd focus in on you. You'd calm our hearts and our minds. God, I pray that we wouldn't think about somebody else, but we'd be able to say, all of us, individually, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Change us, just as you did, Jacob. As painful as it sometimes might be, God, we want to be all that you desire us to be. So change us, mold us, discipline us if need be. But be gracious to us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, look with me, verses 1 and 2, chapter 29. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the sons of the east. And he looked and he saw a well in the field. Isn't that a beautiful sight? Jacob knows that uh, with his grandpa and with his daddy, wells are a sign of what? We've learned this. Wells are a sign of blessing. It's, it's always to the nation of Israel, a well was a sign of God's provision that I will meet your needs. And so he sees this well and God has made promises. And already as he moves forward, God is beginning to bring his promises to, to fruition. So he saw a well in the field and behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it. For from that well, they watered the flocks. Now the stone on the mouth of the well was large. Sorry, I missed my place. There we go, verse 3. When all the flocks were gathered there, they would then roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. And Jacob said to them, my brothers, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, it is well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with sheep. And so at this point, the story is going about as well as it could possibly go. He's happened upon a well. Uh, Now he has met up with some some shepherders who know Laban, his mother's family. He asked, well, is is Laban doing good? Laban's doing really good. This is good news. And not only is he doing well, but his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Now, listen, Jacob knows that dad found his wife where? Where did Eliezer find a wife? At the well. And now all of a sudden he meets up with mama's family and the daughter of Laban is coming down to a well. What is Jacob thinking? He's thinking, I'm about to meet my wife. Boy, God, you are good. And then in verse 7 he said, Behold, it's still day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go and pasture them. Jacob says to these shepherds, he said, You guys take a hike. (laughs) I want to spend some alone time with this woman right here. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered and they roll the stone from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept. Now, you can't script this any better. This is amazing. He, he, he sees Rachel coming. He's thinking, this is my bride. He gets one look at Rachel, and all of a sudden, this guy, remember, he's not a country boy. He's a mama's boy. He's a stay-at-home boy. He's a cook. But all of a sudden, that big, large stone that they said, hey, we can't roll away because we've got to wait till everybody gets here to roll the stone away, suddenly, this boy is able to remove that stone. You know, the sight of a beautiful woman do strange things to a young man. All of a sudden, this boy's got superhuman strength. He sees Rachel, says, watch this, boys. And he rolls that stone off, and he goes up to Rachel and says, how are you doing? And gives her a big kiss. Now, single guys, don't get any ideas. This is not how you greet a lady. This was their custom. It was just the tradition of the day. And he gives her a kiss, and then what does it say? He raised his voice, and he wept. Why in the world does he weep? He weeps because he's overcome by the goodness and the grace of God. I mean, think about this. He he just left Bethel. 
And he left Bethel. God said, I'm going to make these great promises. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And he no more than gets over the river than he encounters a well. He encounters mama's family. He encounters what he thinks to be his bride. God, you are good. And he is so over. And listen, Jacob knows he doesn't deserve any of this. Jacob knows who he is. And I think at that moment, just the, just the bounty of God's blessing poured out abundantly on him by his grace. And he just overwhelmingly just, you, you ever been so overwhelmed by God's grace and goodness in your life that you just wept? I was thinking this weekend, my grandfather who's now passed away and he's with Jesus. And, and often in the holidays we gather around and I, I was remembering this week we'd We'd go into their dining room and, and we'd gather around that table and all the family would be there and my grandfather. And he'd always bless the meal. And we'd all gather around and we'd hold hands. And every time I could remember, he could never get through the, he could never get through the prayer without crying. Because I think in that moment, he'd just look out and he'd see his two boys love Jesus, following Jesus, and he'd see his two daughter-in-laws who loved Jesus, and he'd look out and see grandsons and granddaughters love Jesus and great-grandchildren, and he thought, this old sorry dog, how did I get so blessed by God? And he just wept. That's how Jacob feels. This old sorry dog, God's blessed me beyond measure, and he just cries out his voice, and he weeps, and he says, God, you are good. And if we stop the story, we got to be careful because if we stop the story right there, it appears that this young man whose life has been characterized by what? What has what characterized Jacob's life up to this point? Nothing but deceit, manipulation, and lies. If you stop the story here, you, you, you might you might be tempted to think that he got away with it. He did all that lying, all that deceit, all that manipulation, and he got nothing but deep wells and beautiful wife. But what do we know? God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. We saw it in Abraham's life. We saw it in Isaac's life. Now we see it in Jacob's life. All three of these guys... Chosen by God, blessed by God, and all have to be purified by God. Because those whom God loves, he also disciplines. And no, no one gets a pass. It doesn't matter if you're a patriarch. You don't get away with it. It doesn't matter if you're King David and you're the king who's a man after God's own heart. You don't get away with adultery and murder. It doesn't matter if you're Noah and you found favor in the eyes of God and you were faithful and obedient. You don't get away with drunkenness. And it doesn't matter if you're Jacob. You don't get away with your deceit and your manipulation. And all of us need to understand this morning, if you know Christ, if you're a true child of God, sooner or later, you will experience God's hand of discipline. Because God is loving, but he's also holy, and he will not abide in purity in his children. 
And so God goes to work in all of our lives, and he uses situations to remove the impurities. And God, God has all kinds of ways that he removes impurities, doesn't he, in our life? All kinds of means by which he removes impurities. But do you know what I found is the means by which he most often uses in my life? I don't want to speak for you. But I think more often than not, what God does is the same thing he's going to do in Jacob. He just puts us in situations where the impurities of our life, where the sinfulness of our life is exposed and we're forced to confront who we truly are. You know, I I wish that it was as simple as just hearing a sermon and all of a sudden God changed you. Or if you just read, God can change us by means. We ought to be reading the word and God changes me. But more often than not, God uses the situations of life, the laboratory of life, the fire of life to, to show us our sinfulness to let us get, as I like to say, get downwind of ourselves and smell our own stench and realize we're a sinner. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I got sin in my life that's so ingrained in me and so a part of who I am that God has to force me to confront it. In, in other words, I, I, can, I can memorize all kinds of verses on patience. Boy, I can know all the verses on patience and how I should be patient, but then God puts me in the customer service line at Home Depot and says, now we're going to find out that you're still a sinner. And you can say, God, I know all kinds of verses on forbearance, and I'm a forbearing person. Well, we'll let let you get married, and then we'll find out how forbearing you. We're going to team you up with this guy. Or you think you're perfect, we'll give you children. <laughs> now we'll find out. You know what? You're a sinner. And God gives us a dose of our own medicine and forces to confront the reality of who we are. So guess what God's going to do with Jacob? He's going to give him a Laban. You like deceiving? Let's see how well you like it when you get deceived. So watch this. Now we see God's discipline in verse 15 through 20. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. It's interesting when you first read this. You look at Laban and you say, Laban just sounds so generous, doesn't he? I mean, you read it and you think, he's seeing... Jacob do all these odds and ends. He's living with him for a month. And Jacob's over there tending, I don't know, the chickens, the cows. He's doing all this work. And, and Laban finally comes to him one day and says, Boy, we can't have you doing all this work for free. We need to pay you something. And it sounds generous, doesn't it? It sounds like, boy, this Laban, he's so kind. He wants to make sure Jacob's taken care of. But what do we know? Laban is a deceiver. Jacob thought he was, this guy's got a PhD in manipulation. Laban is a serial deceiver. And I think the whole time that Jacob lived with Laban, the the wheels are spinning in Laban's mind. You see, the situation tells us here that Laban's got two daughters. And it appears that 
He's got one daughter that he thinks it'll be pretty easy to marry off, and another daughter might be a little more difficult. And he says, both of them, I got a guy right here. And what has he known? What has he, what has he seen for that past month? Don't you think he's seen that old Rachel and Jacob, they like hanging out together. Sees them taking walks down by the river and holding hands and thinks, I think I got a way to get this guy to do what I want him to do for my purposes. Does that sound familiar? What's he going to do? He's going to use Jacob's fleshly desires to manipulate him for his own sinful purposes. Does that sound familiar? Jacob, you remember Jacob cooks a bowl of stew? And Esau comes in and he's famished. He's really hungry. And what does Jacob do? He manipulates. He uses Esau's fleshly desires to manipulate him for his own purposes and to get him under his hand. And guess what Laban is going to do to Jacob here? He's going to use Jacob's fleshly desires to get him to do what he wants him to do. So Laban says, name your price. What do, you, what do you want? Oh, you're so kind. You're so generous. And Jacob says, I'll work for Rachel, your daughter. And Laban knows, once I get him on the clock, now he's mine. Now I got him. And the danger here is, what you see in this, is that Jacob is not being led. In all of chapter 29, Jacob never mentions God. What is leading Jacob's life? His flesh. Not the spirit of God. Does that sound a little like Isaac? Isaac, when he, when he goes to give the blessing, to, to, he wants to give it to Esau, he gives it to Jacob. He's not being led by the spirit of God. He's being led by his flesh, and it always leads to a place of destruction. So Laban's got Jacob right where he wants him. He says, I'm going to manipulate him. I'm going to use him. Um, For my own purposes. And then in verse 21, look at this. It says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed that I may go into her. And Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and Jacob went into her. And Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came about in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. Now wouldn't you like to have been there for that moment? Laban... I picture him down the hall. He hears, he's probably just waiting on the sun to rise. Here's Jacob over in his cabin. The sun comes up, hears him scream, and he's probably just chuckling to himself. And Jacob, can you imagine what Jacob's thinking in that moment? How could I be so dumb? How could I let myself to be, be, be manipulated like this? And, and I've often wondered, because I've seen this happen in people's lives, when they, when they fall into this stuff, when they fall into situations like this, oftentimes, here's what they'll say. Why didn't God prevent me from this? And I wonder if Jacob in this moment didn't say, God, why didn't you prevent me from this? And you can almost hear God say back to Jacob, You never asked. 
You never see Jacob seeking after God and seeking after his protection. Jacob has followed his own fleshly desires and has led him to a place where now he's having to belly up to the consequences of his sin. And he's mad. And guess who he's mad at? He's he's mad at Laban just as Esau was mad at him. Now he's experiencing it. And so he runs to Laban. And look at what he says in the latter portion of verse 25. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, it's not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Did you catch that last phrase? Make no mistake, Laban knows Jacob's story. And now he's rubbing it in, isn't he? Because what does he say? I don't know how you guys do it back in your, your hometown, but around here we honor the older before the younger. Do you not think that stung a little bit with Jacob. Jacob is now getting a dose of his own medicine. And then look at verses, uh, look at verses 26 through verse 30. It says there in verse 26, but Laban said, it's not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we'll give you the other also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week And he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. And Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel also. Indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban for another seven years. And so Laban's plan has worked perfectly. He says, I'll give you Rachel, but but you're going to have to do it all over again. Folks, that's what you call scheming. And guess what? In Jacob's life, he's learning that God will not be be mocked. Jacob deceived his father, and guess what now? He's being deceived by a father. He would not honor the firstborn, and guess what he's going to have to do now? God's going to force him to honor the firstborn. Jacob is learning what Isaac and Abraham both had to learn, that you can't outsmart God. You can't beat the system, that if you are truly a child of God, you cannot abide in sin. God will beat you every time. As I was thinking of all the examples in Scripture, I thought of Haman, who thought he was going to outsmart God. Guess what he's going to do? I'll just hang you on the gallows you made. God will dance with any man or woman, but he will not be beat. You cannot outsmart him. And here's the reality. Some of you are abiding in sin today. That's the reality. Some of you are abiding in sin right now. You know it. You know in your heart you're abiding in sin. And maybe right where you're at, you think you're getting away with it. You think, well, I've, I, I, I've deceived, I've manipulated whatever you're doing that only you and God know about. And you think right now, well, I'm getting away with it. Things seem to be working out pretty well. Here's what I'm going to challenge you. Here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. If you're living in sin and you know it, I'm challenging you today, repent of your sin. Come clean before God. Because if you will not come clean willingly, there's a day coming. Because I'm here to tell you, God will not be mocked. You don't thumb your nose to God and think you're going to get away with whatever you want to do. 
And if you're experiencing, maybe you're here today, maybe you're listening online and you're experiencing God's hand of discipline, you need to be reminded of what Jacob needed to remember in this moment, that the Lord is in that place. Listen, if you are a true child of God, there's going to come moments and times in your life where you feel like you're at the end of your rope and you'll feel God's gentle hand of love and care and provision. But if you're a true child of God, there will also come the times when you feel his hand of discipline and both of them are an expression of his love. God is a perfect father. When we need his hand of, of gentleness and mercy, he's there. And when we need his firm hand of discipline, he is there. And both are a demonstration of his love. Hebrews, you don't have to look this up. You may want to jot it down. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, it says there, the author of Hebrews says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Boy, that's strong language, isn't it? I mean, it sounds kind of harsh. That God disciplines, he scourges. Listen, if you're a true child of God, sooner or later, you're going to know that hand of discipline from God. And what the author of Hebrews tells you is don't do two things. There's two things you don't want to do. Number one, don't take it lightly. If you're experiencing, I think the danger for some people is they just blow it off. They, they get caught up and their sin gets caught up. Well, they go, well, I got unlucky. I guess, you know, got figured it out. Time and chance, I guess, caught up with me. No, 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 listen to me. It's God. God says, I'll take it. I'm doing it. And you need to take it seriously, and you need to be asking the questions, God, what are you trying to teach me? What, what impurity, what sin are you trying to remove from my life as I experience your hand of discipline? Number two, he says, don't faint. Don't take it lightly, and don't faint. Meaning that, so, so parents, you know this, when you discipline your children, is there a chance that your children would think that you don't love them anymore? You ever had that happen with you? My youngest son, I gave him spanking one time. He turned around and looked at me and said, I thought we were buddies. You talk about break your heart. I thought we were buddies. And I said, we are buddies. I love you too much to let you keep going down that path. You know what God says? I love you. And what you need to know is that when you are experiencing God's hands of discipline, number one, it's an expression of his love. He loves you too much to allow you to continue down a path that will lead you to, to, to your destruction. But number two, it ought to remind you that you are his child. Because guess what? God doesn't discipline children that are not his. Just like you as parents. Me, there's only two boys I discipline. I'm not responsible for everybody else's kids. I only got two boys I'm, I'm obligated to. I've got a commitment to these two boys. To bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And God has made a commitment to you as his child. And it's to change you into the image of Christ. But he doesn't discipline those. I used to wonder sometimes. You know you see those individuals who seem to just thumb their nose at God. And they do whatever they want to do. And it just seems like life always works out for them. And I used to wonder, what in the world's going on? You know what God taught me? Number one, it's none of your business. That's between me and them. 
not your job to worry about what I do in somebody else's life. Second thing he reminded me of, maybe it's not their time. I do things in my time. Jacob got away with it for a while, but not for long. And number three, it could be that they're not his children. But in those that are, that are God's children, we will know God's hand of discipline. Th- th- these are not... Listen, chapter 28 is a lot more fun to preach than chapter 29. But is this important for us to hear? Boy, we need to be reminded. And some of you need to be reminded today because like Jacob, you've either been deceived by other people or maybe you've been deceived by your own foolish heart. And you have found yourself in a mess. I know there's some of you, somebody that's watching online or listening to this right now, and you're in a mess. A mess you created because of your own sin. And maybe for the first time in your life, you're beginning to cry out to God. You got yourself in a mess, and you don't know how you're ever going to get out of this hole. And maybe for the first time, you're crying out to God, and you're saying, God, can you help me out of this mess? And I want you to hear something this morning. You need to hear this loud and clear. God can help you out of your mess. And God can can clean up your life, and he can set you down a new path, and he can still use you, and he can still make you into a great man or woman of faith. We're going to see it in Jacob's life. But also know this. You've got to repent, and you've got to submit to him. You've got to turn from your past, and you've got to turn towards Christ. And whatever your mess you find yourself in, he is your only hope. Because guess what he did? God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And guess where he went? He went into the mess and the filth of our sin. And he's perfect, and he's God. And guess what he did? He went to a cross, and he died on a cross, and he took the ultimate punishment and the ultimate judgment for your sin on that cross so that you could be freed from the mess of your sin and set down a new path, a path that leads to eternal life. Can you get out of your mess today? Yes, you can. But the choice is yours. You cannot cling to your sin and still know the hope of Christ who is really good at cleaning up messed up sinners for his glory. Would you turn to him today? Would you receive his grace? Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you again that you are the God of Jacob. Because quite frankly, we, we can identify with Jacob. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. God, all of us in this room know what it is to follow after our flesh 
to be deceived by others or deceived by the, only, uh, the own foolishness of our hearts and to find ourselves in a deep mess. But we are grateful that you have caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And by his scourging, we are healed. There's a way to be healed today. There's a way to be freed from the bondage of sin and it is through faith in Jesus Christ who bore the mess of our sins so that we could be free to turn away from sin and turn to you. God, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that they would turn to you in faith and repentance and they would know your salvation. God, for those of us that do know you, God, I pray that you would move in all of our our lives to reprove and correct us. God, it's a dangerous prayer to pray. But God, we love you. We know you're a good father. And sometimes there's sin in our lives we can't see. It's so ingrained in who we are, in the nastiness of our flesh, that we can't see it for ourselves and we can't remove it on our own. And God, we ask you to remove it. God, we want to be all you've called us to be. Like Jacob, we want to be great for you. We can't be great and be who we are. Carry us on, God. And even in your discipline, be gracious. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.